love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. Thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome if you've just logged on to uh, New Life Church online. For the last few months, we have started a new sermon series in the book of Acts. And I hope you have been following. Today we start chapter 5. But the story so far recorded in the book of Acts is the honest account of the beginning of the new covenant church and the, the various triumphs and the struggles and the trials which she goes through and which she perseveres in. And so far the record of Acts has been one of triumph in spite of all of the persecution and in spite of all of the, the suffering we see the church continuing to grow dramatically. Um, there was, at the time, a spirit of unity. There was a, a spirit of love. And there was an unusual generosity among the believers up until this point. But in chapter 5, we see something, unfortunately, affecting the church in a very, very negative way. Um, we will read that together in Acts chapter 4, my passage this morning, from verse 36 verse 11 of chapter 5. So Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it? That you have contrived this deed in your heart. You have not lied to men, but to God. That's a very important verse. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out. And buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Please pray with me for a moment as we prepare to study God's word together. Father, we pray for your help this morning. as We come to this passage, Lord, and honestly, this is a passage I would rather not preach. This is a difficult, heart-searching passage. But Lord, you have allowed it to be recorded in your word to give us an honest assessment of the New Testament church and to see the struggles and the trials that she faced so that we can recognize them ourselves in our very own day. 
And Lord, please help us to be honest with you today. Help us to be honest with ourselves. And may we allow your word to search our hearts this morning. Lord, your love is so amazing. Your love is so divine. And it does demand our heart and our soul. And Lord, we pray that we would not be hypocritical in our worship of you today. Please, Lord, speak to us and teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story I found in the Reader's Digest about a 12-year-old boy who was waiting for his first orthodontist appointment. Of course, he was a, a bit nervous, and apparently he wanted to impress the dentist on his first visit. On the question paper that he was given, there was a space marked out, hobbies, and on it he wrote, swimming and flossing my teeth. Of course, that's a humorous example of how we are all really prone to hypocrisy. But spiritual hypocrisy is, is not a humorous thing. It's a dangerous and a deadly sin. And in our passage today, we see that very thing. And the hypocrisy of especially professing Christians has damaged the church in many ways. It served as an excuse for many to disregard the claims of Christ by saying, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. Even amongst spiritual leaders, many that we have seen even on social media and other platforms that have caused many other believers to stumble. It's a dangerous, dangerous sin. The story of Ananias and Sapphira warns us of the danger of the sin of Hypocrisy. In fact, that is the title of my message this morning, The Danger of Hypocrisy. One commentator said this about our passage this morning here in Acts 5. He said, this is one of the stories which demonstrate the almost stubborn honesty of the Bible. It is a story which might well have been left out because it shows that even in the early church, they were very imperfect Christians. I think that is a very good assessment of this passage. Acts 5 really presents us with a historical account of the highlights of the reality of church life. And we see, unfortunately, it's not a pleasant one. It's not a pleasant experience. It's not a pleasant highlight. We are given a positive example in the end of chapter 4 of a godly man by the, the name of Joseph, who is better known as Barnabas. We see this in verse 36 and verse 34, uh, 37. And then we're given the example of Ananias and Sapphira. And both of these examples are of people who sold their properties and used their money in different ways. This couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they put on the mask of hypocrisy, and they were struck dead by God, we see in chapter 5. And this threat of seduction from within the church is much more subtle and dangerous than the threats from without the church. And that's what we've seen so far. We've seen persecution and struggles and suffering from without the church. But now, this threat is really within the church. And my first point this morning is hypocrites 
in the church, hypocrites in the church. Let me read verse 1 to 4 again. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought, uh, sorry, kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Well, let's first examine the exact nature of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Their sin was not that they had sold their property and given only a part of it to the church. In fact, in verse 4, Peter makes it very clear that it would have not, it would not have been a sin for them to have sold their property and not given anything to the church. That wouldn't have been a sin at all if that's what they chose to do. Their sin was that they conspired together to deceive the apostles. They lied to the apostles and to the church into thinking that they were giving the full amount when in fact they had kept back a portion of the proceeds of the sale of their property for themselves. In other words, they were trying to impress everyone around them with a higher level of spirituality and commitment than, than, they, than that which they really didn't have. And I wonder if you've ever done that. I hope you can be honest this morning and say yes with me. I think we've all done that. We've all been guilty of trying to impress others around us with our commitment and with our spirituality and with our devotion to Christ, even though we know in our hearts that we have exaggerated maybe a smaller account. But the context of this account is important to understand their intent, to understand their motive here in why they were doing this. According to the closing verses of chapter 4, we see there was a great financial need in Jerusalem, and particularly in the church here in Jerusalem. And I think the reason for that is because of the persecution that we heard about. I think many of these new believers were persecuted by their own families. They were persecuted by even their bosses who found out that they had converted to Christianity from their traditional ritualistic Jewish religion. And they were ostracized. They were put out of their homes, put out of their jobs, and they'd lost their income. And in general, the church at large there in Jerusalem had lost their means of, of living. And there was, there was a need, a great financial need in the church in Jerusalem. And the believers we see at the end of chapter 4, they responded. How did they respond? They banded together, really in a, in a very selfless, spirit-filled way. We see that they sold their land. They sold their possessions to, to form a, a common purse uh, for the needs of the church, much like our benevolent fund that we have in, in our church. There was, there was no law telling them they had to do it. There was no rules telling them they had to do it. This was 
This was not out of human compulsion at all, but it from the Spirit of God. The Spirit had moved them and moved God's people in a very generous way. And we see the way that they were willing to give up their material possessions for the sake of the, the suffering body. But in particular, at the end of chapter 4, our attention is drawn to Joseph, who is also called Barnabas. And we see he sold some land that he had brought and all the proceeds he had given to the apostles to administer to the church. And there seems to be the implication that although Barnabas did not boast of his gift to the church, it was nevertheless known to the, to the membership. And Ananias and Sapphira come along, and we see in the context, I think, believe that Barnabas had got some status out of this, and they wanted some of this status. They wanted some of this limelight for themselves. And what did they do? They devised the plan that is recorded for us in chapter 5. John Calvin in his commentary here in the book of Acts, he observes that Ananias and Sapphira were more interested in the feet of the apostles than they were in the eyes of God. I think that is a very accurate observation. As badly as they wished to make a name for themselves by being sacrificial, they did not want it to actually cost them anything at all. They were really play acting. They were playing the game of duplicity, pretending to be something which they weren't. And we see they decided to steal. They were thieves in the process. And since they claimed to have sold their land and to have given all the proceeds to the church, that of course would enlist them or enable them to claim from the church because they were now in need. They were without land. And since those in need were ministered to um, out of this benevolence fund, Ananias and Sapphira, in effect, were, were double dipping, dipping from the church and from their own reserves, which they had kept behind their back. That is, not only would they have sufficient means from the funds that they had held back from their sale, but they would also be in a position to receive funds now from the church. And that is one reason they are charged with the sin of deceit. It's not only lying here, but there is deception involved as well. This was not just lying, as tragic as that sin is, but it included the sin of stealing. This really was a sin, not just against the church, but this was a sin against God. It was a sin and a crime against their neighbors. John Stott, the godly Anglican, he sums it up well in his commentary. He writes, he says, They wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. So in order to gain a reputation to which they had no right, they told a brazen lie. Their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor, but to fatten their own ego. And not only their ego, might I add, but also their own bank accounts. 
They were seeking to use the church for their personal gain. I think this has been a temptation for many people throughout the, the centuries, and I don't think it's any different today. As a missionary in India for 17 years, and, and as a pastor here in, in Abu Dhabi, I have witnessed this and I have experienced this myself. Many people frequently come to the church looking for help, and as soon as they re receive that help, they don't seem to really care about Jesus anymore. In many instances, as soon as they have received the help that they wanted, their love for the Lord quickly goes out the back door. That's human nature, isn't it? But look at the motive here of Ananias and Sapphira. I think the motive is everything here behind their sin. Everything behind their sin. If Ananias and Sapphira had sold their land and had told the apostles, we feel led to only give half to the church, it would not have been a problem. And, and, and Peter says that clearly. Their sin was, was really the evil intent of their hearts. They wanted to make others think that they were more spiritual than what they really were. They weren't motivated by sacrificial love. They were motivated by a selfish love for themselves. They weren't motivated for loving others with a love that looks to others, or not even a love for God, but for a love for themselves. And God, who always knows the motive of our hearts, we see how He responds in this, in this dramatic situation. He judges them really on the spot. And hypocrisy is always motivated by self-love. Hypocrisy is a dangerous, dangerous sin. And I want to impress on you today and others that you may be knowing. Make them think that we are something we sometimes try. Make other people think that we are something than what we are not. And we know in our hearts clearly that we are not. I think our children, by the way, have a, have a built-in antenna to detect hypocrisy in their, in their parents. And nothing turns their ch children away from the faith as, as quickly as hypocritical parents. If they hear you put on your, your spiritual voice around church people, but you verbally abuse them at home, they can see right through that, isn't it? They will not be drawn to follow the God that you profess to follow if you are wearing this hypocritical mask. And that's why it's crucial for us as parents to acknowledge our sinful motives, our sinful behavior, and ask our children for forgiveness when we end up sinning against them. Our motive is everything in this. We need to be honest with the Lord. We need to be honest with our children. And not pretend to be something that we're not. Our second point we see in verse 5 to verse 10 is the heartache here in the church. The heartache in the church. We see this hypocrisy in the church really was, was joined by a great heartache. Look at verse 5 there. In verse 5, first, 
Ananias, hearing these words, he falls down to the ground and he breathes his last. We see that in verse 5. Then in verse 6, several young men in the church, they take the initiative to, to carry off um, Ananias for a proper burial. And then we see in verse um, 9 and verse 10, three hours later, maybe once her makeup was finished and her hair done, Ananias, she arrives, or Ananias' wife arrives, Sapphira. She arrives at church to meet with the same judgment, the same judgment. We see in verse 10, the same, the same young men returned from burying her husband and found a second body there to be buried. As soon as Ananias was confronted with his sin, he dropped down dead. People in our day speak with a great excitement about being slain in the spirit. But here we have the, the closest biblical parallel to this teaching of an individual being slain by the spirit. And don't pray for it. Don't wish it upon yourself. It is not the type of slaying that our, that our charismatic friends desire. Some liberal commentators, they criticize Peter here in this passage because they say, well, he did not display the grace that, that Jesus showed towards sinners. They say that he was more of the spirit of Elijah calling down fire from heaven than of Jesus who offered forgiveness to sinners. But notice here in our passage, Peter did not pronounce the death sentence on Ananias. Peter rebukes him, but I believe that Peter was a bit surprised when Ananias dropped down dead in front of him. And with Sapphira, he predicted that the same thing that he had just seen happen to her husband would happen to her. Peter was simply God's instrument to speak his truth. Notice it clearly, and don't deny this truth here in this passage. It was God who cleansed his church of these hypocrites. It was God. And the young men who acted as pallbearers that day, they, they had a busy time than probably they've ever had before. And, and, I, and I wonder what, what they were thinking as they as they made their way back to the congregation after, after burying Sapphira. Maybe they thought, who's going to be next? Who's going to be next? How many more bodies are we going to carry to graves before, before the sun goes down? Look at verse, verse 5. I want to draw your attention there to a moment. It says, great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Please underline that in your Bible. Great fear came upon all those who heard these things. That statement really helps us to understand that there were witnesses to this event. This wasn't a secluded private event or occasion. It appears that the church members who had witnessed Ananias' death, they had to hang around there for three hours, the Bible says. Three hours. They were still there after three hours, present to witness God's judgment on Sapphira. The church had observed these events publicly. No doubt of what had happened. 
And no doubt there would be these very sore and heavy hearts watching at what was transpiring in front of them. I don't think they were glad at what had happened at all. I think they were sad. I think there were many tears. I think they were horrified by the realization that there was trouble in the church, that there was sin in the church, that there was duplicity in the church, that there was hypocrisy in the church, that there were people lying about their faith in Jesus Christ. This was a shocking realization for this church. This was a shocking lesson that sin had reared its ugly head again in the midst of the church, specifically the sin of hypocrisy. Just after everything was going so well, just after there was this wonderful revival, thousands and thousands and thousands of people repenting of their sins and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. What an experience, what a group to be part of. People devoting themselves to prayer, to fellowship in the word, People selling their possessions to give to their brothers and sisters in need. Filled with the Spirit. Full of Christ. Here comes the ugly, dangerous sin of hypocrisy. I think there was a a deep sorrow that the church had experienced at this point. And so it should be. Whenever the local church goes through sinful experiences. So should it be whenever the church experiences church discipline. We need to embrace that reality that church life is sometimes painful. We should embrace this reality that sometimes church life is is messy and sometimes it is sorrowful. But if we will be the the kind of church that the Lord wants us to be, then we must be willing to confront the sin in our membership. Not just turn our head away and close our eyes from this situation. We need to be saddened by it and we need to confront it so that people can turn from their sins. Not entertain it and not allow it. Not even to give the impression That we think it's okay. We mustn't allow sin to rob us of the blessing of God's presence. Remember the Garden of Eden right in the beginning. That story is playing out again here in this early church. We must be willing to be misunderstood by those outside the church who may not ever understand why we do what we do. But even be willing to be misunderstood by people within the church who might think that we are unloving. The most unloving thing that we can do, that you could ever do, if your child is playing with a pair of scissors in the street, is to just ignore them and just to let them carry on playing because danger awaits. Danger awaits. And this is the danger of hypocrisy. We just close our eyes and pretend it's not there. It is going to hurt the church. Anytime we take a strong stand against sin in the church, 
someone will accuse us of not being loving. But to tolerate sin in the church, sin that will spread like leaven and it will contaminate and it will destroy others. This is not an act of love or compassion. We must always offer forgiveness. We must always offer restoration to those who repent. And that is our goal, by the way. That is always our goal, is to bring people back to the foot of the cross. We must never be willing to tolerate sin under the banner of love. People of integrity hold both to kindness and to truth, all at the same time. And that is what we need to strive to be. My third point, we see the end of verse 5 and in verse 11, we see this heart searching that is happening in the church. This heart searching that is happening in the church. Finally, we need to consider the reaction of the church and society to the matter before before us here in this passage. Luke tells us at the end of verse 5, a great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And then he says in, in verse 11 as well, great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And when we see repetition, what do we need to do? We need to listen, isn't it? The Lord is repeating himself here for a reason. We know sudden judgment had come upon Ananias and Sapphira, and there were many witnesses um, watching. The outside world there in Jerusalem was the nation of Israel. They were the ones who professed to be the, the covenanted people of the Holy One of Israel, Jehovah. But here we see clearly Jehovah was not dwelling in the temple of the Israelites. He was dwelling within the church. He was dwelling within the church. Notice that this verse speaks of great fear. Both of these verses talk of great fear. Especially when the outsiders heard of this judgment. There was great fear. The Holy One of Israel, the Lord God Almighty, is present. He is here with the church. But I think there were two groups of people that... Um, are mentioned here. I think the first group are the outsiders, as I've already mentioned. They were fearful. And this seems to be the implication of verse 13. Talking about the wider community. They were thinking twice now about making just a, a flippant profession of, of faith. They weren't so quick to join the, the church just so that they could see what they could get out of this church. I think after the death of Ananias and Sapphira, a Jerusalemite would have think twice about professing faith in Christ in order to share the common fund of the church, in order to get from this benevolence fund. There was a, an understanding that church life was indeed intense. And so unless one was intentional and one was sincere about following the Lord, it would be best to rather remain outside. And that is definitely not a bad thing, folks. That is definitely not a bad thing. But the second group, I think, which fear came upon, this great fear that we read about, is identified in verse 11 as the church. This is actually the first time that the word church is used in the book of Acts to describe 
um, those who had been saved and filled with the Spirit. Um, we know already in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls were, were added to them. You see that in verse 41. And this is the church. This, these are those who had been saved. Up to now, it's about 5,000. But it is the church that is experiencing great fear as they witness the Lord's judgment from hypocrisy. And this local church experienced a deep reverence, a deep reverence as they witnessed and as they heard of God's judgment upon sin, upon evil. And this reverence is, is also a healthy thing. This is really what is needed in the church of our day. And maybe there is not enough of it. It is a situation that must have been laying heavily on the hearts of the, the Christians in the early church. But it's also a message that needs to be constantly kept in mind by Christians today. I think there must have been a whole lot of soul searching that was going on in, in the church during that time. And that needs to happen today. I'm sure there were people wondering, am I really saved? Those who had made professions of faith must have been wondering, is this going to happen to me? That needs to happen today. We need to be examining ourselves. And that's why the Lord's table is so important. And that's why we've missed it for so long. Every time we have the Lord's table, we are commanded to examine ourselves, to judge ourselves, so we don't be judged by the Lord. And that's why we need to do it often, because we are forgetful people, and we keep forgetting the sin of hypocrisy, and we keep forgetting to reverence the Lord, and we keep forgetting to examine our hearts. I can imagine a whole lot of serious soul-searching took place in this first new covenant congregation upon this terrifying experience. Those who profess to be members of the church, no doubt, would have examined their hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We, talking about the church, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making His appeal through us. God making His appeal through us. Church, hear God's admonition this morning. We are a people who represent Christ. We are His ambassadors. And we need to represent Him well. We need to represent Him biblically to a world that is lost in darkness. To an unbelieving world that are worshipping idols and worshipping themselves. We cannot afford to be hypocritical ambassadors. We cannot afford to be duplicit in our worship of Jehovah God. We need to be people of integrity. People that the world will look at and be drawn to our Lord and King. I think a spiritual hypocrite is someone who says they love Jesus, but they end up living for themselves. That's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did, isn't it? We've just been going through these Ten Commandments, and it's been so refreshing. Even to hear adults comment and to say, thank you for that. That, that 
that truth and that command reminded me again and again how important it is to be a, a believer of integrity. John MacArthur says that devoting our lives to God's glory means sacrificing self. It means that we prefer God above all else. The true worshiper does not think about how much it's going to help him, how much money he's going to get, how much success he will realize, how much fame he will have, how many friends he can garner, how spiritual he may appear to others, and so on and so on. The pursuit of the glory of God is purely selfless and a lonely pursuit. And then he concludes, true worship is not concerned with the popularity of the stand it takes or the kind of response it gets from others. True worship is concerned with the glory of God. Where do we stand today? Where do you stand today, friend? I mean, why are you coming to church? Is it for friends? Is it for popularity? Or is it for the glory of God? Why are you not coming to church? Are you not coming to church because of friends? You'd rather be with them because it's too much of an effort? Or are you coming to church for the, the glory of God? Are you taking time? Are you moving those excuses out of the way? Are you being intentional for the glory of God? As those who have been born again by the grace of God, those who have been saved by the, the power of the gospel, we desire to live for God's glory. And as we steward this desire and, and this determination, we fight the sin of hypocrisy. When sin is dealt with, then soul searching must result. We need to come before the Lord and repent of our, of our own tendency to sin, especially with reference to the to the sin of hypocrisy. Let me conclude this morning. Let me bring this all together. We know that the Bible teaches that one day we will all stand before God on the final day of judgment. And the verdict concerning our eternal welfare, the verdict concerning where we will spend eternity is closely related to how well we we lived our lives. Now, I'm not saying that works will save us. What I am saying is that those who have been born again by the Spirit of God will have evidence. Maybe not perfect evidence, but there will be evidence of living for Christ and living for others. And not living for themselves. Let me conclude with this story of, a, of um, an older man, an 81-year-old man. All those involved in aviation will appreciate the story. His name was Robert Kupferschmidt. He was an 81-year-old who had no flying experience. However, due to a, a tragic emergency, he was forced to fly an airplane he had never flown before. On June the 17th, 1998, he and his 52-year-old pilot friend, uh, Wesley Sickle, were flying from Indianapolis to Indiana. But during this flight, um, the pilot, Wesley Sickle, slumped over and died of a heart attack at the controls. 
And the Cessna 172 single-engine plane began to nosedive. And Kupfer Schmidt, he grabbed the controls. And he got on the radio and he was asking and begging for help. And close by, there were two pilots who heard the call. And the closest airport, they directed him towards. And the two pilots gave him a, a stream of instructions of, of how to climb and, and how to steer. And of course, the, the scariest part of how to, to land this plane. And the two experienced pilots, they, they circled the, the runway three times before this frantic man and gave him all the help that they could step by step until he landed the plane. All the emergency vehicles were called out and they were ready for this approaching disaster. And witnesses said the, the plane's nose nudged the center line and then bounced a few times before the tail ended up hitting the ground. But the Cessna ended up on a, on a patchy, soggy um, grass next to the runway. And amazingly, Kupfer Schmidt was, was not injured. And the reason he was not injured is because he listened and he followed the instructions as if his life depended on it. And it did. If he did not listen, if he did not follow the instructions, he would have died. He listens because he loved and he valued his, his life. And he was prepared to follow all of the instructions in order that he might save his, his precious life. And I think there's the same spiritual truth applies to all of us. We need to ask the Lord to help us to listen to his word. And help us to listen to those who are instructing us in his word. We must be willing to be admonished by our brothers and sisters. We must be willing to be discipled by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must be willing to come to home groups and hear what people have to say so that they can speak truth into our lives. We need to ask the Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We must use such situations as means of grace which help us and develop us into God followers that would glorify our Lord Jesus Christ and will have a passion or a hatred for sin. Do we love the Lord Jesus enough to obey his instructions? Do we love the Lord Jesus enough to repent of our sins? Or like Ananias and Sapphira, do we have a type of Christianity really that has no love for our Savior and it's just an external form of religion that only obeys some of the convenient rules and disregards all the others. Hypocrisy is a deadly sin. Hear the danger of hypocrisy this morning, folks. It destroys the hypocrite and it damages many that are contaminated by it. I urge you to follow God's word, to confront your own life, examine your own heart this morning. And if you're playing the religion game, quit now. Don't wait until it's too late. Get real with the living God who is speaking to us this morning. Spend time with him each day. Judge your sins and turn from them. Seek to grow in, in godly character. Our God desires truth in the inward parts.
In a moment, we're going to sing This Is Amazing Grace, our song of response. The first couple of lines say, ask the question, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? And the answer is given in the next line, the king of glory, the king above all kings. The reason this morning we want to flee hypocrisy is because the king of kings is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our devotion. We are just his ambassadors. He has saved us from darkness. He has saved us from sin and he has brought us into the marvelous light. Let us reflect that light to the world around us that they may see Jesus and may call upon him who breaks the power of sin and darkness. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Please, Lord, help us not just to be the hearers this morning. Help us to be the doers. Help us to love you unconditionally. Help us to love you the way you loved us, Lord. Help us to live for you the way you lived for us, unashamed. Help our lives to count for your glory. Father, we pray, please, Grant us repentance where we need repentance this morning. And grant us opportunities this week to be people of integrity for your glory. Help us to share Christ with those around us and help us to live the, the, the righteous Christian life that you want us to do for your glory. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.